So 1 Samuel 10, you all found it? Old Testament, sort of early-ish, you know, maybe a quarter of a way into your Bible. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to read chunks of this uh, just because of time. Uh, verse 1 of 1 Samuel 10. Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. That's fun, isn't it? And said, <laughs> not a sight you see every day. Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? Now, at this point, Saul had been sent by his dad to look for stray donkeys and was having significant trouble finding stray donkeys. But his assignment for that day was go find donkeys. As you do. Kind of a mundane, everyday task, all right? Most of us here don't own donkeys, but most of our days we set off to do something perhaps that we did yesterday or the week before, yeah? So put it in the realm of everyday assignment. Suddenly he meets a prophet who kisses him and pours oil on his head and says that you've been called to be king, basically is what he's saying to him. Exciting day. Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you'll meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelza uh, on the border of Benjamin, and they will say to you, the donkey's you set out to look for have been found and now your father has stopped thinking about them and he's worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? And uh, just, just flick on now to verse 9. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart and all the signs were filled that day. When they arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him in power and he joined in the prophesying. When all those who had formerly known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, What's this? What's happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also amongst the prophets? And go down to verse 17. Samuel summoned the people of Israel uh, to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought uh, brought Israel out of Egypt and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you, you have now rejected your God who saved you out of all your calamities and distresses. And you have said, no, set a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, the, near, the tribe of Benjamin were chosen. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was chosen. Finally Saul, son of Kish, was chosen. But when they looked for him, he was nowhere to be found so they inquired further of the lord and the lord said (coughs) sorry inquired further of the lord and has the man come yet and the lord said he has hidden himself among the baggage the man they ran and brought him out and as they stood as he stood amongst the people he was a head taller than any of the others samuel said to all the people do you see the man the lord has chosen (coughs) there is no one like him among all the people then the people shouted, long live the king. Okay, we're going to read one more passage. New Testament, Galatians chapter 4. Ooh, it's a big journey, nearly to the end of the book. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees, until the time set by his father. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. 
But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you're a son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Wow. So here you have, well, I think it's a picture of salvation. You have a guy getting on with doing, doing his daily thing, and then he gets interrupted. He's doing the normal. He's Mr. Average. He's looking for donkeys. He gets interrupted. The Word of God comes to him. God changes his heart. The Holy Spirit comes on him and suddenly has a whole new destiny. He has a new heart. He has a new anointing and has a new purpose. All in one day, wham! That's like becoming a Christian. There you are, doing your thing in life, whatever it is, and suddenly you encounter God. He changes your heart. He gives you a new heart. You become a new creation. You have new desires, new passions, new, and he gives you a new anointing, the Holy Spirit. And you know the Holy Spirit is a royal anointing. So we often talk about anointing. Well, anointing was for kings. That's what happened here. He poured oil over him to signify you are chosen as a king. That's what happens to every one of us as a believer. The royal anointing, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes on us. Our heart is changed. Anointing comes on us. We We become prophets after becoming donkey chasers. And God says to us, He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go and, go and wreck this world for Jesus. Go and turn this world upside down so it doesn't look anything like it does now. It looks more like heaven than earth. That's what happens when you become a believer. You'll be given, it's called the Great Commission. Why is it called the Great Commission? Because it's huge. <laughs> but you get commissioned to have a huge part in the huge commission. Maybe we should call it the huge commission. So you in a day, in a moment, get transformed from being a donkey chaser to a world changer. That's good news. Donkey chaser, world changer. God gave him all the equipment in a one go. Bang, crash, wallop. He has this incredible set of experiences. The Word of God comes to him. The Spirit of God comes on him. It says as he turns to leave Samuel, his heart is changed. Saul is completely equipped for the thing that God has called him to do. No longer chasing a donkey, he's called to lead a nation. That's a leap, isn't it? That's a That's a change. That's a whole other set of concerns and worries. That's a whole other level of exposure and profile, is it not? His dad would have been pleased that he came back with the donkeys. Here a nation is waiting on tiptoe for the man they've asked for, for the king to lead them against their enemies. And this is Saul's moment. Remember, he's called, he's chosen, he's equipped, he's anointed. His heart has been changed. God has given him everything he needs to be ready for the moment. And where is he? He's hiding in the luggage. See, it's safer in the luggage. Away from the glare of public gaze. 
away from expectations of people to be amazing. Now, he's called to be amazing. He's anointed to be amazing. He's been transformed to be amazing. But I'd rather stay in the luggage just in case it doesn't work. In case it's not true. It's safe being not noticed and insignificant. Much less is expected of you. Can't I have all this anointing and still chase donkeys? Something in his head hadn't lined up with the transformation that had happened in his heart. The call of God, the anointing of the Spirit. What have it been like in those days meeting the company of the prophets? And experiencing, it's probably like coming to one of our prayer meetings if you've never been before. And you, there's an atmosphere in the room often, isn't there? And people come in and they feel something because he's all over us. Whoever comes in, he comes all over them. That's what happened to Saul. He suddenly never prophesied in his life and now he's there with the prophets prophesying like a good one. Like he's done it all his life to the point at which his friends who've known him, he obviously does not have any reputation for being very spiritual. You know, it's not him. And suddenly it becomes him because the Holy Spirit comes on him and he starts to prophesy and join in the prophetic company. Holy Spirit contagion is infection. We're here to infect you with the prophetic spirit of Jesus this morning. Isn't that exciting? But here he is, anointed, called, ready. Even God's done something internally, but he's not ready. His mind hasn't caught up with the work God has done in his heart. And, and the fear of, of position, the fear of expectation, the fear of being seen overtakes him and he hides in the luggage. I can remember that it's a long time ago. I remember when I was uh, learning to lead worship and obviously God was blessing my worship leading and, and, the, and the guy that was kind of mentoring me and overseeing me started to ask me to lead worship in big meetings on like big platforms with hundreds of people. And I can remember one of the first ones I did, and there I was with my guitar, and, and it was on this stage, and, and I can remember distinctly, I was right over, just trying to be as far in the corner of the stage as possible. And I can remember him literally, this was just, we were just kind of getting ready to start, I can remember him coming up and sort of grabbing me by the shirt and dragging me across to the middle of the stage and saying, you can do this, go. And I'm like, <laughs> where's the baggage? <laughs> I want bags six feet high and ten feet thick <laughs> all around me, especially in front of me because there's all these people looking at me. And this still happens to me from time to time, this process of connecting to who I really am is not complete. And I'd like to suggest it's not complete with you. So I, I have a moment. Every now and again I have a moment like that moment. 
So I stand in front of our school and there's 70 people coming to our school. There's some person is driving three hours to the school and three hours back. We have people driving. They've been coming for a year already. There's still five people that start coming two hours nearly from Dundee and back. We have people coming from Dunfermline and Edinburgh there and back to our school that was my idea. And it's called a supernatural school. (laughs) Give me some bags. (laughs) What happens if they find out? (laughs) They don't have a supernatural bone in my body. They pay all that money and spend all that time and travel all that distance and they get me. (laughs) On a good day, that's awesome. On a bad day, it's like, just don't bother. Are are you, anybody with me? We've all been called, we've all chosen, we're all anointed. We're we're made to change this world. I just want that to go a little deeper in my soul. My mind needs to line up to everything God has done in my life. More and more and more. Because he has made us a supernatural people. We are seeing more of heaven come to earth. He's made us sons and daughters. He's he's actually redeemed us from that foolish and empty way of life. That's what the Bible says. He's taken us from the donkey chasing life and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The transformation and the transfer has already taken place. Our minds need to catch up with the transformation of our hearts. That's why the Bible says, be renewed, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The bit we're in charge of is what's going on in here. He's already done stuff in here. He's already put the Spirit on us and in us, moved our hearts, given us a new name, a new calling, a new destiny, awesome promises and said He'll always be with us. We've just got to catch up in here. Can you sympathize with me a little bit? I just need a little bit. Three hours. Three hours to listen to me. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. But I'm just telling you, I have my moments. And I had one this week and I'm going, oh my God. Huh? It, when I was, no, it's not that song. It's this sense of, if they really knew me, Would they still come? Now the truth is, yes. But there's something inside that you have to adjust and shift. Otherwise, I, you, were in difficulties. Because if we persist, and if I persist in this kind of pauper, orphan mentality, as God gives us more profile and more success, I'm going to blow it up just because I'm scared of, of, I'm scared of profile and success. Because I wasn't brought up for it. In my house, we kept the rules, we keep our head down, we pay our bills, and we keep our noses clean, and we're nice people. That's what I was brought up to be. I was not brought up to change the world. In church, a lot I was brought up, to be good, to keep the rules, to keep our noses clean, love our leaders, obey people, and tell people about Jesus. 
I wasn't raised to change the world. That's nobody's fault. They were just working with the light they had. But the Bible I read is all about, you're a world changer. I gave you dynamite, not a sparkler. I gave, you, I gave you authority, not suggestions. <laughs> I called you from heaven. I've seated you in heaven. I haven't just given you a step up in the world. I've moved you to a completely other place with an other perspective. Mm-hmm. Little old me can sound humble. Oh, it's just little old me. It's false humility. It's shrinking the promise of God down to my comfort size. Just letting it, I could feel the discomfort in the room. (laughs) And I'm enjoying it. Just be uncomfortable for a moment. How many of us have taken the huge promises of God and gone, wow, that's exciting, and then gone, oh, that's scary, and then gone, this is what I'm coped with. (laughs) I'm getting requests to do that again. Do you want to do that again? So you hear something about God and his promise, you go, wow, that's so exciting. But then maybe the next day or the next minute you go, ooh, that's scary. And you go, oh, this is what I'm coped with. <laughs> the trouble is you end up with a God this size. You don't just shrink a promise, you shrink him. <laughs> Talked to Barbara Jenkinson this week. She came and, and sat in on the school with us. And uh, most of you know she is a great, powerful lady. And uh, just chatting with her at the beginning of the school, she said, oh, I was walking down Buchanan Street and there was this shaman witch doctor guy there with all the skulls and stuff and he was calling down curses in the street. And she said, I just went near him and started to pray, shut him down. I said, yeah. I, yeah. So I said, so I was feeling kind of bold. I said, yeah, we're not having that in our street. She said, I'm not having that in our nation. I thought, hmm, still not quite there yet. <laughs> I thought I was being like, yeah, we're taking charge of this street. She was like, nation. It just came straight out of her. Yeah, let's get rid of some more of these bags. (laughs) Stop hiding in the baggage. Start changing a nation. You know, the Bible is full of examples of people who successfully made this transition as well as those who didn't. Saul actually didn't make the transition from ordinary person to amazing person because of the call of God. He didn't make... What happened in this story read is a fault line that runs through the rest of his story and he basically fails. And, and you've got people like Joseph who managed the incredible transition from the prison Right, in, in, right into being into the palace in a day. Doom, doom. But he, he somehow managed that elevation. 
to suddenly having prominence and prosperity and making decisions rather than just what affected him in a prison, what affected a whole nation. Something inside him transitioned with the elevation. Whereas here Saul didn't make it. The people of Israel didn't make it. They were led out of Israel after hundreds of years of slavery. God led them by miracle out of Israel. They crossed the Red Sea, but they didn't enter the promised land. Do you remember that story? You can look, find it in Numbers. They, they, God took them, and, but they were in slavery mindset. They'd been slaves and they thought like slaves. So when the spies went out to look in the land that they were gonna, supposed to go in to possess and, in, and inherit, that was the promise of God. He'd already delivered them by miracle and made a promise of this land of milk and honey. They went out, 12 of them, and came back and 10 of them said, we felt and saw ourselves like grasshoppers and they looked like giants. That's a slave talking. So despite the miraculous deliverance, despite the incredible promise, despite miracle every day, the food they ate was a miracle every day. The fire at night and the cloud by day, they lived constantly in the miracle presence of God. But they still saw themselves as grasshoppers. They'd not made the transition. Although they'd been brought out of slavery, slavery as an identity was not out of them. And so that generation died in the wilderness 40 years going round and round because they couldn't see their greatness. They couldn't believe they were the giants and in the land were the grasshoppers. Because actually the Bible records that the people of the land were trembling in fear because of them, because they'd heard of what God had been doing. The reality was the complete opposite of what they believed to be true. But because they believed it was true, it set their destiny for the next 40 years. And I want to propose to you that, that so much of, of the environment of what we've called church has been so legalized, which produces slaves and servants. Legalism produces do-gooders and slaves and servants, that it's been a struggle for us to believe that we're awesome. And I'll use that in the British sense of the word. There are places in the world where everything's awesome. I mean, you are awesome. You are world changers. You're not slaves and servants. You're not orphans. And the major thing that is shifting... Jesus said something really interesting. He said I, in John 14, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Do you know what? Every person on the planet has two parents. Everybody has a mom and a dad. Everybody has somewhere in their history two people who provided enough biological material and DNA to make them. What makes an orphan is the absence of their presence. It's not an absence of biological material. It's an absence of the actual presence of a parent. Alongside you, holding you, speaking to you, giving you food, looking after you, giving you a bit of direction in life. Orphans are people who don't have the presence of a person called a mom and or a dad. Are you tracking with me? Jesus said, I'm not leaving you as orphans. He didn't then say, I'm going to send you a book of instructions. He said, I will come to you. He said, I'm going to give you presents. 
Otherwise, you'll feel on your own. And if you feel on your own, you think you are on your own. And then you'll believe that you're orphans like the rest of the planet. So this emphasis that we're in on the presence is crucial to us being freed from feeling like orphans because we know Papa showed up and we can feel it. And our identity changes because His presence comes. We're not left alone as orphans. He's with us. And it's not just a theological statement or a doctrine heralded from the front by somebody like me. We know He's with us because we felt Him this morning. And we feel Him now. And He keeps coming more and more. And He's all over us. And He's lavishing His presence on us. And suddenly, bit by bit, we start to go, God, this is true. I'm a son. You haven't left me on my own. You're real. I mean, I can't see you necessarily with these. But I feel you with my physical and spiritual senses. I know you're there. Therefore, I'm not alone. Therefore, I'm not an orphan. So you can know that you have a mom and dad. Everybody on the planet knows they have a cerebral, intellectual knowledge that they have parents. But if your parents are absent, you still can be an orphan. This transition from orphanhood to sonship is not about knowledge. It's about, the heart of it is experience. And, And to strip experience from the life of the church is to rob us of a sense of our true identity. If God isn't with us, we're not the church. If God isn't with us, we're not the people of God. If God isn't tangibly with us, we aren't who we keep saying we are. So God is renewing this sense. He's renewing this invasion of His presence. The center of our life is His presence. If you're not with us, we don't want to go anywhere. That's what Moses said. This isn't just an add-on. This makes us who we are. This defines our very being. We are sons and daughters because we have the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a brother, we have a father, and we have a Holy Spirit who's our comforter and strengthener and our guide. We are not alone. We're in the family trinity. We've been wrapped up into God. And that's not a theory. If it's a theory to you, we'll pray for you today because you need to feel it. We talk about encounters. We need encounters. Christianity is not a bunch of ideas. It's not a bunch of principles. It's not a bunch of rules. It's an encounter day after day. It's an intimate union. It's a fellowship. It's an entwined, wrapped around God, God wrapped around you. It's bearing fruit because of the, the gooey goodness in our cupcake. Somebody's been watching too much British Bake Off. (laughs) You know, you do prophesy out of what you see. (laughs) I'm feeling better. I'm going to make a, a, a statement. You're worthy of all God's blessings. Look at the person next to you and make sure they hear it. You might have to take turns. Tell them they're worthy of all God's blessings.
I want to underscore this with, a, with another story, and then I'm going to give you some, I'm going to give you some theology, but I want to, I want to remind us again of the, of the prodigal son. I'm not going to read it because it's a, it's a famous Bible story, but the, the prodigal son, all right, he goes, he squanders the family fortune, he, he lives with pigs, he tries to eat pig food, he's so poor, and he's coming back, and the father sees him from afar, and, and the father runs to him. And what, what is the prodigal, what's coming out of the prodigal's mouth? It, what he's saying is, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's what's coming out of his mouth. Because what he's saying is, all what I've done with my life has violated my identity to the point which I know my personal worth is in such a place, my personal identity. I'm so full of shame, I am not worthy to be called your son. And what the gospel does, it doesn't just remove you of the shame because of what you did. It changes the shame and removes the shame of who you are. Too many of us are still ashamed about who we are. Yes, we know our sins are forgiven, but God, you still got me. I'm not worthy. What does the father do? He gives no reply. Well, he gives a reply because he takes the robe and he wraps it around him. He puts the, fi- the, the, the ring on his finger of authority. He gives him new shoes and he throws a banquet. And he says, of course you're a son. Let's have none of this nonsense. You're not worthy. You're not, you're not a son by what you did. You're a son by, who, by birth. I birthed you, and that's never going to change. God birthed you. Before, before the worlds began, He birthed you in love and passion. And when you come back to Him, He says, here's the sun coming back. Let's put the robes on. Let's bring out the party. Let's put the ring of authority. You're worthy of all these blessings. No matter what you think, you're worthy of all these blessings. No matter what your excuses, you're worthy of all these blessings. You're out of his loins. It's never going to change. No matter what you did with your life, no matter how much you screwed it up, you're still a son. You're still a daughter. You're still adored by him like we were singing over and over this morning. There's no end to his affections for you. You're worthy of all his blessings. That's why we read Galatians 4. He came to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the full, I love this, it's the NIV, you have to read it in the the full rights as sons. That really captured, if you want to study it out, full rights is not in the Greek, all right? But what it does capture is the sense of adoption as Roman adoption worked. All right, so full rights of sons kind of smacks you on. Actually, you have rights as sons of God. God has given you the right to expect Father's blessings in your life. God has given you the right to expect to be treated as a son of God by God. 
God has given you the right to inherit everything that a son of God inherits. And if you want to know what that looks like, look at Jesus. Because we inherit everything that he inherited. Because we share, not because he divided it all up, but because we get the same package he got. That's in Romans 8, if you want to read that and study it out in your own time. We get to inherit because we have been given the rights of sons, are restored to us. You attract the blessing of God just by being who you are. Come on, it's time for our minds to change. Remember how we began. This is the truth. If we believe the other stuff, we'll stay in the baggage. If we believe we attract the blessing of God, that we are sons, that we, there's no end of his favor on us, then that actually shifts in our mind and we can stand in front of the crowd or do the significant thing that we've been called to do. Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Great. Who has blessed us in heavenly realms with a few bits and pieces to get us through. <laughs> hmm? No, I don't think he says that either, but that was the old Andy Merrick version. <laughs> you know, there's the, sort of, there's the Bible that's in the Bible and the one that we work, the working version in our head. So the old Andy Merrick version is, Thank you, God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. You have blessed me in heavenly realms with a few bits and pieces in Christ Jesus. (laughs) With a blunt knife. (laughs) You've blessed me, Jesus, with suffering and bluntness, with dullness of mind and a few scraggy, out-of-date religious ideas. Thank you for all these blessings in Christ Jesus. You blessed me with hundreds of years of church history, with stuffy pews. Does it say any of that? Hallelujah. I'm just relaying what the Andy Merrick version, all right, which is not inspired or authorized. Do you? But I'm giving it to you because I'm guessing that inside some of your heads is a similar kind of a you version of the Bible. Because what the Bible actually says is that he's blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We already have it all. In other places, we've received everything we need for life and godliness. It says we've become partakers of the divine nature through his very precious and great promises. This is who we are. We haven't picked up a few religious bits and pieces. We've picked up all the blessings and inheritance of heavenly places. He saved us. He redeemed us. Not with perishable things like silver and gold. I mean, God didn't put value on you by saying, I'm going to pay 50 quid for Andy. I think he's pretty valuable. But, you know, that, that Andy Fulton is, is a 30-pound. You know, I'm just going to... 30-pound and a bit of foreign money I found in my pocket after my holidays. Oh, oh, Nick Treadgold. He's a 120-pound dude, but on the credit card. <laughs> 
what Peter's got in mind here is like gold and silver, you know, like kings have. And he's like, God could have come with his, backed up his, his truck of gold and bought you. He could have come with his silver coins and bought you, but all that's perishable. That doesn't value, value you highly enough. Perishable things are really not worth enough to put sufficient value on you. So if you happen to own a house or you're thinking of buying a house and you see that you, you know you see the offers overpriced or, or maybe you're about to sell your house you think oh my house it's worth at least half a million quid come on and you put it on the market and someone offers you 250,000 they think no that's not enough and then next week later someone offers you 250,000 you think hmm and, and it goes on and on and on, and everybody who comes offers you 250000 Guess how much your house is worth? 250000 I'd like to think mine was worth a million, but it isn't. It's worth what somebody's going to pay. Isn't it? So ultimately, you are worth what someone will pay for you. God says, I could have come up with silver coins, I could have backed in a truck full of gold to buy you. It says that just isn't valuable enough for you. Let's bring in that second truck of gold. Now it's still not good enough because it all fades away. It all perishes. I'm 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 going to buy you back with something more valuable than any of that. You were redeemed from the empty way of life. You were redeemed from chasing donkeys with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What's the most priceless thing in God's economy? The life of His own Son. He valued you the shed blood of Jesus. That's how much he paid. If you want to know what you're worth, he gave his son for you. He gave blood for you. Gave holy blood for you. Uncontaminated blood for you. Isn't that awesome? In the British sense of the word. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. He's made you worthy of all his blessings. He's valued you at the highest possible price. If God could not think of a higher way of valuing you, he couldn't think of another currency that was worth more than what he paid for you with. You are worthy. I'm worthy of all God's blessings. My life is not defined by shame. It's defined by love. He's precious. He's made me valuable. And he's he's expressed what he sees as my true value in giving the son that he loves. (laughs) Mm-hmm. 
So God changed the heart of Saul. The Spirit came on Saul, but Saul had to change his mind to agree with what God said. God will change your heart, but you and I have to change our mind. In fact, God, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, God's already changed your heart. He's already come with His Spirit to you. It's time to start believing the truth. The Jesus version of the Bible, not the Andy Merrick version of the Bible. Or the you version of the Bible. You know, hiding in the luggage can comfort you for a while. But actually, because what God's done in us is put this nation-changing, planet-transforming seed inside of us. It comforts our old man to hide in the luggage, but after a while we start to get bored and dissatisfied. It's dull and it's a bit lonely. And I think lots of Christians blow things up in their life because basically they're bored. (laughs) So they want to make something exciting happen. Let's see what happens. Church is dull. Life is dull. Well, it's only because you're hiding in the baggage. When you start to stand up to your true significance and stand out for what you're really called to do, which is change the planet around you, then life gets exciting. All right, so I'm not talking to the other fellow. I'm talking to you. You were born to change this world. You've been given a call. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given a call of God to change this world. Not the other guy. Not the one in front, beside or behind you. Not someone who's coming next week. You've been called to change this world. You've been called to stand up in front of people in situations that look scary if you just think you're a donkey chaser. If you know you're a son who attracts the blessing of God, who's worthy of all his favor and all his blessing, you can totally tear it up in your place of work, in your place of study, and you can shift the atmosphere, change things around, stand for righteousness, start to stand out and see other people fall in line and follow you. The question is, what do you do next? To step into what's consistent with your call from heaven. The question for everyone in this room is what are you going to do next with your life that's consistent with this high call from heaven? That's consistent with the high call. Are you dreaming big enough? You're anticipating big enough shifts in your life. You're anticipating making big enough changes to the people around you. You're worthy of all God's blessings. You're worthy of all spiritual gifts and encounters. Health, financial provision, good relationships, promotion, and impact on the church and world. You are worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters. Health, financial provision, good relationships, promotion, and impact on the church and the world. You are worthy of all God's blessings. All spiritual gifts and encounters. Can we make that, and I I am worthy of all God's blessing, all spiritual gifts and encounters. Can we say that together? 
I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters. Can I add a bit more? I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision and good relationships. We do that together. I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision and good relationships. It's going to grow a little bit more. I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision and good relationships, promotion and impact on the church and the world. We're going we're gonna to take off with this one. Are you ready? Can we do it a couple of times? You'll get it. From the top, I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision, good relationships, promotion and impact on the church and the world. Let's do that again. That's getting better every time. I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision, good relationships, promotion, and impact on the church and the world. Why don't you make it a declaration every day this week? Get it in front of your eyes. Start changing your mind. Start changing what you say about you. Start, that will mean that you'll then start changing what you do with you. It is, really, it is really exciting and humbling to stand in front of such a gifted, called, powerful bunch of people as you. And I get this sneaky feeling that the world is about to be rocked by what you get up to as you connect to who you've really been made to be. Let's do that again as closing, right? I am worthy, ready? I am worthy of all God's blessings, all spiritual gifts and encounters, health, financial provision, good relationships, promotion, and impact on the church and the world. Let's stand together. You know you're worthy to get well this morning. You're worthy to get financial breakthrough this morning. You're worthy to get provided for this morning. You're worthy for a shift and a change in your personal circumstances 